everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and I am very excited because after a long time, we for anyone who is unfamiliar uh, and is just kind of diving in now, we started this podcast with the hope that eventually we might one day catch up to season five. And we really cut it close, but we did. And now we're finally here talking about The Crown, Season 5, Episode 1, Queen Victoria Syndrome. And as always, I am joined by my two co-hosts. First, our resident HMS Britannia expert, it's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, when you were on the HMS Britannia, did it feel like an extension of the Queen herself? You know... I will say it, it did feel a little too small and confining for an intimate young couple. <laughs> you would not want to honeymoon there is what you're saying? Definitely not. Fair enough. Um, also back with us today, a woman who needs you to dance with her before she screams. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin at middle school dances. Was this your your line? I didn't go to middle school dances. I I thought I was too cool for them. So... I don't know. Let's go with that. Yeah. Do you think it's a good line? Like, I'd never heard this before, but maybe if, yeah, if you threaten to throw a tantrum, maybe that's the move. I mean, I think it would get people who are intimidated. They just, they don't want to have any, they don't want to see any kind of conflict. So they're just like, you know what? Okay. Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> For sure. Um, okay. Before we dive too deep into the episode, right at the top, we always like to disclaim that if you came here for any sort of factual clarity, um, you're looking for you know us to kind of tell you what is and what is not true about the crown. You have most decidedly come to the wrong place because we do not know. We are not historians. We are not royal family experts. We are three Americans who are watching the crown and learning about the royal family based on that. And so we're going to assume that pretty much everything we saw here, as dramatized as it may be, is completely true. And we're just going to go from there. Wait, are, are, and, and to be clear, we're doing that for the purposes of the show. I don't, I don't think we're walking away actually believing that every single bit and piece of this show is real. Correct. Or are we? I, I think I Have am. Have we been approaching this completely differently? I am not approaching it that way. Like the, <laughs> like the conversation with John Major and his wife where it's so like, oh, so foreshadowing. <laughs> like, I'm definitely not walking away thinking that that is true. But like, for the purpose of analyzing the episode, like, this is what happened. I think the heart of it is always true. We're, we're treating these people as fictional characters, more or less. Sure, yeah. But it's true. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Again, before we get too deep into this, Ivan, could you give us a quick recap of Queen Victoria Syndrome? Would love to. So uh, the episode actually opens with just a very quick flashback to the start of uh, Queen Elizabeth's reign, where she is uh, uh, basically introducing the world to her royal yacht, the HMS Britannia. And that catapults us all the way over into 1991, uh, where... Uh, there's a couple things happening. Uh, the Britannia is kind of on its last legs, and there's a question of whether it needs to be uh, renovated, which would come at great cost to the taxpayers. Uh, meanwhile, you also have uh, Prince Charles, who seems to be in a very popular moment uh, in his overall long-term PR campaign, uh, wherein uh, the country seems to really like him, and half of them think he might be suited to just step into the job right away and have the uh, now elderly Queen Elizabeth abdicate 
pontificate. Uh, this all culminates in the uh, publishing of a Sunday Times piece that uh, pushes for this very thing. And uh, Charles uses this as an opportunity to perhaps even approach the current prime minister, John Major, uh, to see what he thinks about this. John Major is not too impressed with the idea of introducing such a radical change at such a uh, delicate moment in the country's history. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the queen herself is very displeased uh, with this development. But again, her focus and Philip's focus are all about uh, getting some money to repair uh, Britannia. Uh, this uh, ultimately brings us to a uh, ball that takes place at Balmoral, which is attended by the uh, more or less the entire family, as well as uh, the prime minister and his wife. Uh, it is during this ball that the uh, prime minister uh, has a conversation with a number of different members of the family, uh, all of whom are basically just asking him for something and uh, really kind of wanting him to uh, give them a lot of affirmation and attention and approval and whatever other resources uh, or developments they might need to further their agenda. Um, all of this uh, kind of ends with uh, John Major uh, sort of dialoguing to his wife and uh, talking about how just out of touch and also just spoiled and privileged and irrelevant uh, this family has become. Uh, and uh, this episode really kind of does a lot of uh, table setting uh, for the rest of the season. There, there's not a lot that happens within the episode um, itself, uh, but uh, definitely starts to uh, set up some interesting storylines that I'm sure will carry us forward uh, throughout season five. So that is uh, episode one, Queen Victoria Syndrome. Thanks, Ivan. So just going back real quick to, I think it was when we were talking about season four, episode nine, we made some predictions about cameos. Ivan, you made the bold prediction that we would not see any cameos until the, uh, until the series finale, and it took all of about 30 seconds for that to be disproven. I mean, th this is the first thing I thought of when that <laughs> scene started. Like, oh, okay, they're going for it. Like, we're getting Claire Foy again, and I'm sure she will once again win an Emmy for best, uh, you know, guest role for all of 30 seconds of screen time. This was a great 30 seconds, though. You have to admit, you could, like, see the nerves she was playing. I, I liked it. I liked this cameo. Yeah, if she won the this time, it would be even less than the last time, correct? Like, I feel like <laughs> I in the last so. one, she was in there, like, it was probably at least two minutes. She was on screen for a lot less than two minutes in the previous appearance. Uh, I think her uh, her narration carried over for for a couple of minutes uh, as we got B-roll of uh, the Commonwealth and such. But uh, yeah, I think she won basically for delivering a speech, mostly uh, which was told through audio. Whereas here, uh, it really just is like, you know, 30 to 60 seconds and then we're done. Yeah. Um, and she's here really to make a connection between herself and the HMS Britannia. And the HMS Britannia becomes kind of like a metaphor for Queen Elizabeth's reign at this point. Um, we learn that this is her favorite home, although if you ask her, that's a very personal question. So that's very rude. Don't ask her what her favorite home is, even though she has like five at least. That was kind of weird. I didn't, I didn't really understand why she was so upset about that. She just doesn't like to, if it involves a single feeling, Elizabeth does not want to broach it. <laughs> it's also small talk, which I'm guessing she doesn't really care for uh, when she's in the company of anyone other than her inner circle. Yeah, yeah, unless it's about a horse. Then I think she'd like it. Maybe, yeah. If you tell, especially right after you tell her that she's gaining weight. 
How much is a stone? <laughs> and why is this the unit of measurement? I don't know. It feels How many like stones is she? I don't know, but it feels like such an it, you can't get that specific with a like if you if a person weighs 9 stone how are you going to tell like any fluctuations on a year to year basis? That's such like a, a small number. I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew what that meant. Cause I, I would guess that she's probably under like a hundred pounds. Cause wasn't she like a tiny lady, like short? I don't know. She just feels like she'd be, she'd be little. No, wait, that's maybe that's too small. Let's go. I don't know, but that is funny. Cause she, yeah, like she's so tiny. Why can't she, <laughs> why can't she have any weight? Okay. Well, so can we talk about the fact that like we keep like putting her under the light of like, oh, she's so old. <laughs> and, like, why don't we replace her with someone else? And isn't she under 70 years old? Uh, let's see. Born in 26. Uh, yeah, she would be 65. Yeah. So she's barely at retirement age and that's good retirement age. Maybe that's what everyone's thinking. They're like, hey, you're well off. It's time I mean, to retire. Get out of here, ma'am. She is right at that age where companies are like, yeah, you want to take that early retirement policy? Also, we we just had, uh, you know, the real life King Charles uh, take the throne at a far more advanced age. Sexism, guys. <laughs> they want the ladies out 10 yes. years earlier than the men. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, yeah, we got a history lesson here. So this apparently has happened before with Queen Victoria and... The way they portray Queen Victoria is she also didn't like her son and she <laughs> stayed on the throne as long as humanly possible so that her son Edward could not get on the throne. I thought it was hilarious because Queen Elizabeth is like, yeah, any comparison to Queen Victoria, that's a good comparison. I like that one. But also, isn't that the point of kings and queens that they stay on the throne until they die? Have you ever heard of one retiring? Uh, yes, yes, they do. In fact, uh, right here uh, in the Netherlands where I reside, uh, the uh, queen uh, uh, abdicated to and made way for her son to take the throne while she was still alive and, and is still alive, I believe. Okay. So uh, it, act it, it seems like something that they may want to consider exploring. Yeah, okay. But the Netherlands is like well adjusted. <laughs> I don't know. It is a functioning <laughs> democracy, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I don't know if England is ready to hear that um the kings and queens can retire and that that could have happened a while ago. Ivan, do you know if uh, how wealthy the Dutch royal family is? Like, is she now able to kind of like live out her full retirement dream? Uh, you mean the, the Queen Emeritus of the Netherlands? Yes. Uh, probably, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think they have uh, as an obscene level of wealth as the British royals do, but... They're probably well off. The, the The Netherlands itself is, I think, one of the wealthier countries in the world. So stands to reason that the royals are getting a piece of that pie. Yeah, because one thing we learned here that we didn't see in the season four finale is that apparently upon Margaret Thatcher's, I mean, retirement feels like the wrong word, removal. <laughs> um, downfall. Downfall, sure. Is that the royal family was given a huge settlement of civil list money. Um, second time, I think, that we've heard about civil list money on this show, which I, I don't know, I'd never heard of before watching The Crown. What was uh, the first time? I think it was Edward wanted his civil list money. Um, oh, yeah. When he was uh, having his one-on-one -on -one with Queen Elizabeth last season. Um, mm. Yeah, they have all this money, and... When they go to John Major and are like, hey, can you help us uh, fix our boat? He's like, why don't you use that money that you got? <laughs> it 
really made Elizabeth's speech like it was a nice speech, but you're like, what? <laughs> you have the money. Yeah, and 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 we saw Philip like doing the calculations for how much the whole thing would cost to replace, and I couldn't quite see what that final figure that he circled was but was it something to the tune of like 14 million or it was 14 and a half million pounds but that was for a new boat philip was very much like this boat sucks we need a new boat oh okay okay got it so that was the new boat price but the britannia could potentially cost even more just to repair I don't know if we know that it would cost more or less i was kind of assuming that it would cost less in the short term but maybe just like more in the long term. They should buy that boat that uh, Elizabeth and Charles were on in Italy. That that one was way nicer. That was a that good was boat. a nice that was a nice boat, and it looked like that one came with jet skis. Yes, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, jet skis are much more exciting than whale watching. You'd think, but <laughs> damn, Elizabeth and and Anne love that whale watching. Yeah, the stinky minkies. The stinky minkies, absolutely. Um, let's talk about this poll. So the British people have done a poll and they think that Queen Elizabeth is old, irrelevant, out of touch and expensive. And shockingly, they think that Charles is young, energetic, modern and empathetic. I mean, young, sure. I guess compared to Queen Elizabeth, that is not incorrect. Um, (laughs) Energetic, modern, empathetic. Not necessarily words that I would use to describe Charles based on the depiction we've got. Well, here's of him what I want to know crowd. is like, were they thinking of Diana? Like, if you put them together as like a little unit, they need a third pole. And it's, would you prefer Diana be queen and Charles go away? <laughs> Carlin, that's not how it works. God damn it. They could have done that and Poles gotten the binary. information they needed. <laughs> and this, all, this whole episode could have been avoided. I mean, I'm shocked that. So, this poll ends up getting published in the Sunday Times. It was yesterday's paper, but it's fine. Um, and so I'm shocked that I feel like Queen Elizabeth has to like turn on the TV sometimes. Like I was shocked that they were able to keep this from her just by hiding one newspaper. <laughs> and she doesn't learn about this for like days, if not weeks. So, uh, yeah. So the Sunday Times was the one that was running that poll, but... Like, were they also the ones conducting it? Like, was it a third-party poll? Could the other publications have also potentially picked up the story? Like, what's going on? I was under the impression that it was the Sunday Times ran the poll, and then they published their poll. Yeah, and then other news outlets were reporting on the findings of the poll because it was juicy. Right, so what, what, what happens, like, literally the next day when all of the other newspapers are reporting on this now? How do they hide every other newspaper from Elizabeth? Well, wouldn't they have to publish the Sunday Times and then the only newspapers would find out? I think the reason the TV didn't happen was because, like, they're on a boat. And it seems like the Britannia doesn't have a TV. Right, right. But what I'm saying is, like, okay, so they can hide the Sunday Times from her on Sunday, but then all these other publications are going to start talking about this story uh, and, uh, you know, the various commentary that has uh, built up around it. And suddenly you have like a whole newsstand full of publications the next day uh, that Elizabeth wouldn't be allowed to read. So like how were they just hoping that the whole thing would blow over and she would never see that one isolated report? (laughs) I think so. Uh, I I don't know how much we can buy. So the point about like everything is true. I don't know about that. But (laughs) yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I think we see here. They really kind of portray Queen Eliz- this version of Queen Elizabeth as having lost a step. And I think what made that 
happened for me was like, I feel like Queen Elizabeth is usually like on top of everybody, everybody's names, but she forgot John Major's wife's name. And I feel like they're really trying to portray her as like, oh, you know, she's slowing down a little bit. Yeah. I wonder if that'll ever come up again. All right. So, Carlin, the last two episodes of season four were directed by Jessica Hobbs. This episode was also directed by Jessica Hobbs. Did you see any connections between the last two episodes of season four and this episode stylistically? I mean, in general, the... The Diana Charles, like, drama was uh, turned up. But I guess that would be the writing. I mean, I don't know. Like, there were just sort of elements that were very sort of... You got the luxury sense of when things were luxurious. Like, in the way that where you see it with, like, Diana's clothes. And, like, that continued to sort of be coming into it, into this episode. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess... You you say that the drama was turned up, but in some ways I feel like it's been dialed down a little bit because uh, season four ended uh, with them, uh, you know, in some very tumultuous waters. And now it seems like things have mellowed out a little bit. Like there's still this like, you know, underlying, uh, you know, dissatisfaction and unhappiness in the marriage. But it kind of feels like they've reached this sort of status quo where they know that, uh, you know, being publicly amicable is something that seems to be benefiting both of them and and strengthening both of their images, both separate and together. Um, and then in the meantime, when they're together, as long as you know there's no drama happening that particular week, it seems like they're getting along okay. I guess so. But then the drama happened like within the episode of like I right yeah. Right. But I mean, considering where they were, uh, you know, at the end of the season four finale going into this where, you know, the time jump is probably what, maybe like a year or two at most. It it seems like they were in a much worse place at the end of season four than they are now. I mean, again, we don't I assume John Major was right after Margaret Thatcher, like. I don't know how much longer it can be. Oh, well, I, I don't know that this episode necessarily um, pushes the idea that John Major had just begun his premiership. Like, True. It, none of them were saying like, hey, what's up to him for the first time? Fair enough. Okay, let's dive deeper into the Charles and Diana of it all this episode, which we haven't really talked about yet. Um, so we get to see their second honeymoon. We never saw their first honeymoon, but here we are seeing their second honeymoon charles of course as you do on any second honeymoon brings his best friends <laughs> good and move like the best bad. friends families <laughs> yeah good move bad move what's the like how are the optics of this like not caught on by the press for a second honeymoon that's what i don't get like you <laughs> saw the families join what kind of honeymoon is that it's not even a family vacation <laughs> well but okay so that that's what i'm wondering like they invited, it's like Cousin Norton. Like, is he Charles's cousin? He would have to be. I guess. Right. Like, so he's not so I guess it's like cousin. a family vacation yeah. where you invite like extended family as well, which, yeah, that's about as far away from a honeymoon as it gets. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it seemed weird to call it a honeymoon when it seemed to be started out as an archetype of like family vacation where they brought the boys and then Charles just added on more people to where, yeah, weird phrasing there. Because that's clearly not what this is. And by the way, I wish we had seen that first honeymoon because I, I want to get a sense of how this, this boat is. I want to see the Britannia. 
attempt to be a honeymoon suite. <laughs> was I the only person on that in that scene where they were all sitting at the table on the boat that was getting like succession vibes? Oh my god, it did have succession vibes in the fact there's children finale. at yeah. the table. Why doesn't succession bring children to the table? Where where are um where are Kendall's kids when the business is going down? So I will say, um, earlier this year when I was on the HMS Britannia myself, <laughs> I saw the room that served as the honeymoon suite. Like, no, no, it, it was not a great honeymoon, just based off the facilities. But this <laughs> new <bummer>. boat, <laughs> this new boat is pretty nice. It looks like, did it have a pool? Did I see a pool on that boat? Yes, yeah, so they could have like a whole deck and a pool. It was like a little cruise ship. It had a lot of activities, and so Charles... He wants a tour that's very history-oriented. He wants to go to Capri, see the ruins, go up the coast, see the beauty from afar. And Diana is like, what about beaches and water sports and shopping? And Charles's disdain for shopping is hilarious. I know. He seems like he would appreciate a haberdashery, but I guess not. Yeah, he seems like a guy who appreciates some material items. Well, especially if you're going somewhere that's like very culturally rich and historic, like you're not just, you know, uh, shopping at H&M. You're, you're going to, you know, like little family owned businesses and places that sell antiques and knickknacks and uh, things that, uh, you know, really kind of enrich your uh, home decor. Uh, but no, he I, I, I think his mind was just jumping to the idea of like, you know, Diana going shopping for, I don't know, like more clothes and other aesthetic things that he doesn't care for. But we get young William and young Harry here who I think this is the first time we've actually, yeah, we never heard, they're like old enough to talk now and they're like, we'll go shopping. It was really cute. They really formed this like little coalition against Charles, which is always fun seeing people gang up on Charles. Yeah, William and Harry are in the 50% that don't want to see Elizabeth abdicate (laughs) right now. Yeah. I guess we can trust the polls, but do we really trust like, after Brexit, do we really trust the British decision-making here? <laughs> I was going to say, we've now learned that polls are very flawed. Like, who are they even asking? Yeah, that's a good point, too. Before they get on the boat, Charles Charles is like, Diana, do you want to give them the old magic? <laughs> and it's like, it's so performative. It's it's Yeah, it's hard to watch, honestly, I thought. But the spectators and press are eating it up. Oh, of course. But yeah, then they end up having a fight on the boat and the fight comes about because you know the poll comes out and charles is like you know what we have to cut this honeymoon short i need to talk to the prime minister behind my mother's back he and he gets his secretary to tell diana that oh there was actually a conflict of schedules i'm double booked on my second honeymoon and diana's like what bullshit and then this secret meeting has to happen at oxford which is very important to charles he cannot understate how important it is that he goes to speak at oxford in the summertime in the summertime yes (laughs) like why couldn't he have just told her that there was like a sensitive matter that he needed to discuss with the prime minister she still wouldn't have appreciated this you know, I, don't I don't think that would have made a why difference. couldn't he just leave and come back <laughs> why would did he need to be there it seems like they're very fast at traveling yeah he could have taken the logan roy chopper straight from <laughs> from the boat taken it to oxford real quick and then come back or he could have just been like hey mr major like uh you want to like you know run off to the amalfi coast for a few days like we got a little bit of extra room here on the boat 
Oh my god, then everyone just listens in. Then the next plot line is how Harry heard about the, the traitorous plot. <laughs> but, you know, it's so weird. Like, why draw more attention to yourself by, like, upsetting your emotionally fragile wife yeah. in front of all your friends <laughs> when you could just leave and come back and let her stay on the boat? His conversation with John Major is so awkward, and I feel like our introduction is to John Major is different than previous introductions to prime ministers because they've usually been like one-on-ones with the queen. Here, for the first time, we get a one-on-one with someone not the queen, and Charles is very much like, can I count on your... It's almost... I don't want to say it's bullying, but it's like, can I count on your support for this coup? Again, he's doing a coup. Like, yeah. <laughs> big dicky energy, but at least dicky had like a huge plan. <laughs> what is Charles doing? Yeah, like Char- Charles isn't pushing for anything specific other than for somebody to like, just like wave a wand and suddenly make him king. Like what, what does he actually want to see get done here? Doesn't he want some papers drafted up of, a, of abdication? <laughs> Carlin, that was a fake. That was not a real. <laughs> but like, wouldn't that require like Elizabeth herself to be willing to do it? Like, isn't she the one he should be pleading to? Mm, I don't know. Is there like a vote of no confidence in the queen? But like, she, I she don't seems think of, so. She seems of sound mind. So I don't know. I don't know. She couldn't remember Norma's name. Yeah, that's really that's a get her out of there. Um, And we get the flip side of the Queen Victoria story. From Charles's perspective, and from Charles's perspective, Edward was a great guy who could have been even better if he'd just been given a chance. Like he, <laughs> his argument was just like so flimsy. He was like, "It would have been so good." That was literally what he said. <laughs> yeah, what a pity, what a waste. He says. You just imagine being John Major. He said it too at the end of the episode. Like I thought I was just going to be dealing with like cabinet problems, and here I am, like having to listen to these people so i will admit i knew next to nothing about prime minister john major going into this and he is already like just off of this one episode like just a very fun character to watch because what he does is he just sits there and listens to the royal family speak doesn't say anything unless he absolutely needs to and just lets them make complete fools of themselves he's great i i also really enjoy him (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if it's the glasses and the hair, but like I look at him, he looks kind of cartoony. He gives me like Jeff Goldblum energy. (laughs) Well, so this is also the problem. It's like Johnny Lee Miller, uh, who is like by all accounts an extremely handsome actor, is playing like a guy who is just looks like your kind of average, like, you know, gray haired British man in parliament. Like he's too handsome to be playing this role and so he just kind of has to do it as stilted as possible for it to be believable okay yeah let's talk about this because we're 30 minutes in and somehow we haven't touched really at all upon this new cast that we got here in season five how do we think that let's start with Imelda Staunton how -hmm. do we think that she did so uh, she is probably the only like you know I'd say sort of like primary like member of the new cast. And so I'm talking just like the inner circle of the Royal family who from her very first scene already sold me Um, just that, you know, uh, conversation with the doctor and sort of that stern response to the question about like, which home is her favorite? Like I was like, okay, yes, I'm on board. Like she can stay. I love her. Yeah. She's doing great so far. Yeah. I thought she did a good job too. And I think that was despite the fact that, I felt like this episode overall was a really slow season premiere. I thought that she did a really good job. 
The one thing I just I just found myself thinking was like, I don't know that she needed to be recast. Like, I don't know. I feel like Olivia Coleman could have done this, you know? Yeah, but so so the I mean, the one problem with these recastings is that, you know, you're having somebody play the character over the span of, you know, 15 to 20 years. So at their first episode, they are, uh, you know, a little bit uh, too old to be playing, playing the characters. And then by the time you reach the end of their era, they're a little too young. And and we kind of had the same thing happening with the uh, season three slash four cast where, you know, by the end of it, like Josh O'Connor playing someone in his late 30s became a, a little difficult to buy. I felt the same way about uh, Jonathan Price as Philip. Like, he feels so much older than Tobias It is a Menzies. very big leap. It got me really <laughs> confused about how old they were, to be totally honest. Where I'm like, are they in their 70s or 80s? Well, so he's, he's a little sense. older than Elizabeth, right? Like f- somewhere like upwards of even 10 mm-hmm. years. Oh, no, I think it's only... Um... Three, four years? I'm going to say four years. Oh, that's it? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that would put him at around 70. So, you know, when it's, you know, season six and we're in like the late 90s, early 2000s, then he'll probably feel right at home. I think it's not only the, well, I think also the problem is just like the things that they had him do. Like they had him acting like a kooky old man. Oh, They're that like, was so weird. Do you hear that noise? Yeah. I should go investigate. <laughs> Yeah, they're so okay. So yeah, right off the bat, I will say like Jonathan Price as Philip is probably the one that I'm struggling to connect with the most because I I think what works with like the Matt Smith and Tobias Menzies uh, Philip is that they just you know as a baseline they're just sort of like this very uh, cocky like very kind of like judgmental kind of like grumpy man and so when there are moments of like tenderness and you know compassion uh, you know they tend to they tend to resonate a little bit more whereas Jonathan Price seems like the type of actor that is like playing the sort of like softer nicer old man and now he's sort of like struggling to portray like the you know asshole that philip is supposed to be just on any given day i guess i always think of philip as um as he grows older like kind of the the quirky or like the i don't don't know how to describe it not quite quirky but like a little bit more lively a little bit more like curious about the world like compared to elizabeth tobias menzies philip Yeah, yeah yeah like it was in like it, it like where it comes from a place of like it's not just empty headedness, which is where the kind of like, oh, what's this sound? That kind of felt a little bit in that regard. Like that he didn't know like he versus like being curious versus just being like, oh, like <laughs> this is weird. I think like the the Tobias Menzies Philip would have had an opinion about that sound rather than just wondering what it was. Yes, exactly. Dominic West. Too good looking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th- that was my concern going into this new season. And yes, like he, it, this is also like a really abrupt transition because like the last couple episodes of the Josh O'Connor, Charles, like he just becomes so, you know, kind of slimy and despicable and arrogant and full of himself. And immediately like the Dominic West portrayal seems like a little softer, a little more thoughtful. Um, you know, he, he's he's still Charles, but like, you know, again, this is what I think this goes hand in hand with what we were mentioning earlier, where the drama between him and Elizabeth doesn't seem quite as like fiery here as it did at, at the end of season four. And I think a lot of that also has to do with the new actors, but uh, he, he's good so far. I just think he needs a, a, a little bit more time to... Uh, you know, hit all of the different angles of Charles. I will say 
it's funny because I've been paying attention to like the tone of voice because we're going to get to Elizabeth Debicki at some point. But like between Emma Corrin and Elizabeth Debicki, their voice is like almost the exact same. Like they were both doing such a stellar Diana impression. Mm -hmm. And then with Dominic West and Josh O'Connor, they their voices are at different pitches. <laughs> so they're both doing mm -hmm. a good Charles impression. But you're like, oh, his voice got deeper. <laughs> I don't right. know if there's anything that you can really do about that. No, you, there's really not, but it's just kind of funny if you notice that. But yeah, I mean, I think that, Ivan, to your point, that's probably why they brought on the same director from the season four finale. But yeah, I thought that Josh O'Connor left Charles in a very, like, angry place that I just didn't yes. get from this Charles. He's very mellow here yeah. in comparison. And that, art, like, they left the Charles and Diana relationship literally on, like, one of the most heated arguments we've had on this show and then literally here they're like yep let's play it up for the camera like we'll get along for sure mm -hmm. um and maybe like they're trusting that just like there's been so much distance between the season four finale and the season five premiere because it's been like two years that right viewers who are who have been watching kind of like as we've gone along have kind of forgotten that but watching them back to back it was a little jarring by the end of season four you're like more or less convinced that like they're about to separate like imminently. Mm -hmm. And now, there, yeah, there's been a bit of a reset where you kind of feel like, oh, I guess they, you know, worked on some things or did they? Did did we just not see it? But uh, yeah, they seem to be in a bit of a more civil place here. It, not necessarily, you know, thrilled to, to be in the marriage, but not hating every minute of it. And then I guess the last one will, will, will Elizabeth Debicki. I, I liked it. I thought she did a good job. Yeah. Uh, she hasn't had uh, a ton to do yet compared to Emma Corrin, but uh, yeah, early uh, results have been impressive already. Yeah. I mean, she's doing a really good job. I still think she, it's like almost uncanny valley where like she looks like Diana and you're like, but wait, <laughs> this isn't <laughs> Diana. Yeah. She let the kids play Super Mario. That was nice of her. Well, they had a <laughs> choice between a bedtime story and Mario and they just immediately went with the video games. Which, like, that's the yeah, right choice. Classic. That's the correct yeah. choice. <laughs> the modern age. And then we also saw a little bit of Princess Anne, who feels like an entirely different person from the previous iteration. Oh, I know. Yeah. She's like, she lost the bitterness. <laughs> this Anne has really mellowed out as well. Th this Anne can carry a conversation with someone without insulting them. And Incredible. this Anne is thirsty. This Anne is spying on people from the lighthouse with binoculars. <laughs> oh, this yeah. Anne is, she, wa she wants to get it. <laughs> Mm -hmm. All right. So, I mean, we also meet some of our other recurring characters here, but not in a major way. Like we meet the new queen mother and I feel like the queen mother, like the jump between queen mothers has been one of the hardest ones to grasp. Like, <laughs> And this one in particular is like, wow. Um, we meet the new Margaret who had a little bit of a line, um, but they really kind of in that line highlight just her how out of touch she is when she's trying to like explain Saturnalia to a guy who clearly knows what it is and it's different than what her her thought about it is. I don't know that we'll get that much Margaret here in in season five based on how season four ended and how much we got of her in season five. She really seems to have taken on much more of like a background role. But she also seemed very mellow. Like she wasn't insulting anyone either. Yeah, everyone's mellowed out. Um, so let's talk about this Gilly's Ball, which is kind of shown to us through the perspective of John Major, which feels like an interesting choice, but I wasn't mad at it. I kind of liked it um, because we see literally everybody trying to like lobby to him almost 
um, and just his interactions with kind of like he had isolated interactions with each member of the royal family here. And when you get them all back to back, it's like, yeah, that's overwhelming. That's a lot. Very overstimulating for him. So mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I guess in order we had, I guess before the ball even began, he had a sit down with the queen where she uh, more or less kind of told him to approve like the budget for uh, the either the new <laughs> boat or the renovations or whatever they're going to do with them. Um, and him like his answer was, I understand. And I don't know if that was a way of him like being like, all right, I get it. This conversation's over without fully saying yes. I feel well, the queen is like, I never ask for anything. So when I do ask for something, I expect people to follow without question. I feel like we've heard this argument from her before, like when she's asked <laughs> but for again, something. <laughs> but again, he said, I understand. He didn't say like, all right, I hear you. I'm on it. Well, he's playing the politics game. You know, that's a right. very political answer. Right. So that's his first interaction. And then uh, later on at the ball, uh, Philip is kind of giving a much more aggressive version of that uh, plea. Like, come on, this is important. It's the yacht. (laughs) Like it's that's like it's what we're all about. It's inspiring to the whole nation. Everybody loves it. It'll be good. Uh, And then we have like uh, Charles just be like, hey, man, you, you see you see the news, you see the articles. Yeah. What do you think? Pretty good stuff, right? Remember what we talked about? Let, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's, let's make something happen here. Let, let's do lunch next week. And then you get uh, Elizabeth uh, showing up just to be like, oh my gosh, there's so much drama here. Just like look around at all the drama. Like ugh, everybody's got their drama. We're like, we just live for the drama. And yeah, by the end of that, I would be like, yeah, fuck these people. And we didn't even get to Diana, who threatens to scream if she doesn't dance. <laughs> if he doesn't dance with her. Wait, did I did I say Diana or Elizabeth? You said Elizabeth. Yeah, you, you said Diana, Elizabeth. I was right? thinking Elizabeth Debicki. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but uh, honestly, like he has the most kind of like legit conversation with Diana. Like I feel like he feels he can relate to Diana probably the most out of all of them. Maybe because you know of her background. Oh, I didn't get that vibe at all. Really? Because I feel like in every other interaction, he says maybe like 10 words maximum. But he actually like has a back and forth with Diana that he didn't have with any of the other characters. Well, I think he had more questions for her and was like more curious about what she was going on about. But then, you know, I think in that very last scene where he's looking out the window and just kind of witnessing uh a couple of the royals, Diana included, just kind of like being drunken and disorderly and and looking very kind of like, hey, look at us. We're high society. We can do whatever we want. I, I, I felt that he was like being pretty judgmental of her. Side note, was that Fergie? Why are they yes. not having us ever like hear Fergie talk? I mean, there's just no time at this point. Like Isn't we, we're even important? we're wondering we're wondering if we're even gonna get any like Margaret this season. Like, there's no time to introduce Fergie. But they keep mentioning her. She's there. That's okay. <laughs> I guess we just know who she is. Um, Diana doesn't give any of these marriages more than six months. So that's including her, her own. That's her marriage. That's Anne's marriage, and that's Andrew's marriage. To be totally honest, I'm surprised that Anne's still married. I thought she would have divorced Mark a long time ago. She's just been waiting for a lighthouse man. I to, guess so. <laughs> Let's see. Let's just kind of skim through and talk through anything else we missed. I guess we missed uh, one of Charles's friend's daughters uh, 
has like she's like five, but she has she has cancer. I guess yeah. she's in remission. Was she in remission? I think she was in remission. Yeah, she's in remission. She yeah. has cancer. Very sad. Uh, and this is also Diana's goddaughter. And and, and so he, he, here here's one thing we can say like. If this little girl has just like had a bunch of medical issues, she's now in remission. It's like one of the first opportunities for her and for her family to enjoy themselves a bit. And Charles gives them that opportunity. And Elizabeth's like, "Ugh, why do you invite these people?" But then he cuts. <laughs> Sorry, I said Elizabeth again. Damn it! I, I meant Diana. <laughs> We're gonna need to. But then, like Charles, cut the trip short, and that's cutting the little girl's vacation short. He doesn't think about anyone. These two. Let the little girl have a vacation, please. But Diana didn't even want the girl to to have that vacation. They're both yeah. at fault here. Queen Elizabeth gets to speak about intermodal containers. I always like these montages of her just like going around to different places and like bullshitting about how much she loves these things because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always ridiculous. So like, I think the the purpose of that scene is also just to kind of like reinforce the fact that like, yeah, you know, she may be like elderly and quote unquote out of touch, but like she is doing the job. Like she's not slacking. Yeah. For sure. Forget that she can't remember one name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the doctor is like, you need to stay on your feet less. And she's like, uh, no, I can't do that. <laughs> All right. Anything else here that we haven't really touched upon? Uh, I, I guess it's just like overall, like I, I agree with you, Sam. This was probably one of the weaker premieres. Like they were setting up a lot for, uh, you know, the, the season ahead. But just as a standalone episode, like this didn't seem to have as uh, as clear of a you know beginning, middle and end compared to some of the past episodes. Yeah, and there weren't any, like, big acting moments either. There was no moment where I was like, oh, yeah, like, that was really strong, you know? Like, it was just kind of like, yeah, this was an episode of The Crown. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right, so, um, Freddie Newcomers, at the end of every episode, we have historically given out a Kinky Crown Award. This was definitely a little bit more relevant in season one, where there were a plethora of kinky moments. As we know, Netflix likes to draw people in with all this kinkiness, um and then in season one in season one and then maybe tone it back but we've we've continued on with this train ivan did you want to talk about some of the changes we'll be making to the kinky crown award this season okay so let me begin by saying i do not like the kinky crown award segment (laughs) i i feel like it's overstayed it's welcome uh and i feel like we keep grasping at straws just to find some nominees and i always tend to be the curmudgeon here uh which i fully own up to so moving forward i have proposed that we change the format where i am actually completely uh removed from the nomination process and instead uh sam and carlin will respectively put forward their top nomination for kinkiest moment of the episode. Um, And assuming they're not already in agreement about what it is, I will cast the tie-breaking vote. If it's not like a kinky moment, because more more and more often it's become um, more of like an innuendo, should we give like an innuendo king or queen and then reserve like a kinky crown for like a truly kinky moment? See, the fact that you have to ask that question <laughs> reinforces what I was saying. <laughs> We're keeping Fair it enough. the same. We've gone Keep this it. far. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Carlin, do you want to go first? Okay. So I liked Britannia, the floating observation tank. Okay. 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 That, yeah. That's going to yeah. be mine. That's going to be mine. Okay. Okay. I'm torn between two. You got to pick your best one. Okay, I think the best one is definitely Anne spying on that guy 
in the lighthouse with the binoculars and asking her mom, like, what's that guy's deal? <laughs> okay. Ooh, I do really like that. I'm going to I'm going to go with Sam's this week. <laughs> oh, OK. So y- y- you two are going to settle it up. I guess so. Would you have picked that one? <laughs> I was actually going to give it to Carlin, but oh, no. since she has already conceded. Is biased. He's biased toward anything HMS Britannia related. Because <laughs> well, he I just, knows. I, I, I like the idea of the floating observation tank. I feel like that that's that's much more uh, kinky in the classic sense of the word than just like, oh, that guy's that guy's a snack. But she had her he shed her binoculars. <laughs> Can I share my honorable mention? Yeah, sure. Please um, do. It, it was Queen Elizabeth saying a testament to the vitality of British udders. <laughs> oh, that was really great. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well Yeah. Okay. So so Carlin, you already conceded, so I did, Sam I did. wins. Yeah, so, and you've won another Kinky Crown Award. It's been a while. It, I don't think, I think it happened pretty recently. Oh, did it? Okay, well. And I think so. On her in and out, in and out. Oh, okay, yeah, right, out. okay. So, <laughs> Anne's doing great. Yeah. Time doesn't change her. I think, like, like we said, season five started off a little bit slow, but I'm very excited to dive into the season in full because I think that we're, you know, we have a lot of interesting, you know, storylines to to uncover here in season five, including next week, where uh, we'll be talking about The Crown season five, episode two. The title of that one is called The System. And in that episode, Prince Philip offers his support to a grieving family member and keen to snatch a scoop, a tabloid journalist approaches Diana about a tell-all book. Now, I mean, we are currently in the midst of a tell-all book about to come out right now, so I feel like there's a lot we can draw on. Oh, yeah. When's that book coming out? No idea. <laughs> when is it coming Probably out? Probably hasn't even been written yet. 2023. I mean, that's a pretty... That, that could be any time. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know anything else. Oh, okay. He's in my debut class. <laughs> do you think you'll do press events together? <laughs> oh, I wish. I need the celebrities doing my books to do press events. Can't wait for that. Are you going to blurb his book? <laughs> I'm so qualified to do that. I mean, l- look at your side gig here. Of course you're qualified. You are an author. You know all about the crown. What's, oh, yeah, what? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I only see qualifying things here. Please, Harry, hit me up. <laughs> so Ivan, in the meantime, if people want to catch up with you about the crown, the royal family, anything that we've talked about uh, maybe the <laughs> King Charles the Third movie. Where can they do that? Uh, well, I mean, I would say on Twitter at Ivan Vukovic, but that site at the time of our recording is in such turmoil right now that I, I don't know <laughs> if it'll exist by the time people hear this. Should we verify Crown Around Pod? <laughs> we should. No, don't do it. It's not worth the $8 or, or whatever it costs or doesn't cost. Yeah, I mean, I already operate at a loss. For this hobby, so I feel like eight dollars a month is just another, uh, you know, another expense that I don't need. Yeah, don't do it. All right, Carla, what about you? Um, again, assuming Twitter still exists or not, I'm Twitter at Carlin Greenwald, and then I'm Instagram at Carlin underscore G E E. All right, and you can find me, I guess, on Twitter as well at Sir Sam Chung. The best place to reach us, at least until it crashes and burns, is on Twitter at Crown Around Pod, and. That's really all we got for you this week. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God save the queen. God save the queen.